0: Welcome to the gym owner's business podcast with Mel Tempest. The Gym Owner's Business Podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Thomas Plummer, My Zone, Creative Fitness Marketing, and All Smiles Creative. The Gym Owner's Business Podcast is part of the Gym Owner's Business Network, which is the industry's go-to online hub designed to better service the needs of fitness business owners. The Gym Owners Business Network is currently finalising foundation memberships, so if you're a fitness business that would like to gain valuable and extensive exposure to the Australian and global fitness industries, then head to gymownersbusinessnetwork.net to find out more.
1: Well, good afternoon. It's Mel Tempest from the Gym Owners Business Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Robert Dyer, Michael Mantel, and Bobby Capucho. Good afternoon, gentlemen.
0: Good
1: afternoon. Great to have you here today on our platform. Today we're discussing storytelling, and the topic of storytelling came up because not long ago I applied to speak at a convention, and I was rejected from speaking at the convention because they came back and said to me that people don't want to know your story. Hence, why we're doing this podcast today. And so, what we decided to do with our podcast was to divide it up into three areas: the start of your story. The middle of your story and the end of the story. So Robert, Michael and Bobby, uh, look, they do some fantastic stuff on social media and we're always discussing storytelling and the importance that it has in the journey of people inspiring others. So what I thought I'd do is I actually thought I'd direct the first question to Robert. Because Robert just mentioned to me prior to the podcast that the most important message to get across is the content and the why of the content. So, Robert, could you just explain a little bit more to me about that?
2: Uh, yes, Mel. I, I, one thing that uh, is important, I guess, to me in, in this transition over time of going from, you know, back in the day of, we bullet pointed and listed things and told we told a story, but it was like in a, a very boring, uh, monotonous way. And so I think really telling the why about us, about what, what your topic is, why you're doing this, ha- how it happened, how this came about, uh, that, that we are able to relate to humans. To people, a lot better than we are if we just if we just put out there a commercial ad about our product, our personal training services, our facilities. Uh, I think it makes a big difference when you can tell a story about the evolution of this and how this happened, and you capture people's attention better than uh, just listing items, as a lot of people still do. Uh, even in PowerPoints at, at uh, educational uh, events, it's it's still done that way a lot. Uh, so I think that that that's a big part. Is that stories helps us, you know, tell you know helps people feel that we that that we are human. And I think that that's an important part of the overall
0: view of storytelling.
1: Sir Robert, all of us. Uh, Sorry?
0: I was just going to add when you, th- uh, when, uh, Mel and, and Robert and Bobby, when you think about storytelling, storytelling has become a very hot, hip thing these days. When Harvard Business Review and other uh, Wharton and Stanford business schools start writing about the importance of storytelling, uh, you know this is going to be uh, clickable headline. Uh, kinds of things. And suddenly everyone's going to become an expert storyteller. Um, so, and you think about this storytelling is the oldest of all of the arts. As far back as you can go, people told stories to each other and people listened. Um, the pilgrims returning from their journeys to Jerusalem told stories about their travels, the French and the English troubadours, uh, the Indians, it, it, the, the primitive tribes in Africa all told stories. Um, and I, I think that it is, as Robert said, a human connection. And that's ultimately, no one is ever going to complain. If you skip a few PowerPoint slides from your presentation and tell a story instead, that's engaging because of the human element that connects us all. It cuts across through, it cuts across cultural lines as well. And, uh, some fascinating research we'll talk about it later about how stories can um actually empower changing attitudes and behaviors in healthcare. so i think we're talking about a great topic today
1: thanks michael um i'll just go back to to robert robert if i want to tell my story let's let's get real about this. Where do I start? Do I start from the day that I was born? Do I start from the day I went to school? Where is the appropriate place to start telling your story so that people understand where you're coming from?
2: Well, you know, I think there's different ways to do this, so I I don't want to confuse the whole topic. But I I think that I feel like that when when I'm writing something, Mel, uh, I may start, I'm always starting with, with the end in mind, first of all. I'm always thinking about, you know, what, where I'm going with this and why, why am I telling this? How do I keep fewer words out of it, but yet the things that I put in are meaningful? So it depends on the topic. Um, stories are used in all forms of communication, and a key thing is, and and I think this is important is sometimes I believe I've done this two ways myself is I'll write a story just off the top of my head. And what I feel uh, at that moment and it, it comes out good. And sometimes I overthink it and go back and edit and redo it. And I lose the whole emotion part of what I was trying to say. So I think that you you if if you have if if you're going to sit down and write a story it has to be something that is for a purpose. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's an email, if it's a story, if it's a social media post, whatever, if it's a campaign, whatever it may be about yourself, yourself your trainers, there's it's everything like like Michael was saying. This goes back for uh, Years and years, th- 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 this has happened. So, um, uh, I, you know, that's just a, you know how I go about it myself is thinking through, but not overthinking it because sometimes I go back and I miss the whole point of what I was trying to say originally.
1: So, what, but what is your starting point though, Robert? So, let's, you've been very successful in business and you often get asked to tell your story. So, what's the very first thing that you write down or that you say to start the story? Because sometimes I find that I'm really good at, say, I don't know, say the middle and the end, but I always have a little bit of a bumpy start in the first two or three minutes of telling my story and then I'm off and running. So what's your advice to people that want to get up or they want to write the story? What's the people, the point that starts the story so they can tell the balance of it?
2: Start with a question. I think sometimes, you know, I think if you start with a question that engages the person, about because this is so generalized, Mel, that we, we're, we're talking about so, could be it, so many topics. But sometimes I do that by I'll ask a question at the very beginning, and give examples maybe, and then start to tell what in the middle is is sort of that the the whole point of what I'm trying to make, and, and it could be a story that's a a cliffhanger where I leave it where there's no, no end uh, where people are wondering what happened like at a movie, or it may be that I'm going to have a second one or a third one. That's an open loop type story. So it just depends on what I'm writing Mel. And I don't think that's what you're wanting to, I'm not answering properly what you're wanting to, to, to get, but, uh, sometimes starting with a question is a good way instead of just telling.
1: So maybe let's say, for example, sorry, Bobby. So let's say, for example, you're a successful, because we're speaking to the fitness industry, let's say you're a successful club owner. Maybe the opening question could be, so you want to be a, a club owner? Let me tell you a story about my journey.
2: It very well could be. And you know what? That's a real thing that happens to me and what I do all the time. People come to me and they, they, they tell me they want to start a, a health club business. And I'll say, why? What are you going to do different than the seven clubs down the street from you? What, what, what separates you from these people? How many members? Have you thought about how many people you have to be you have to have at certain price points to even make this business work? Have you really thought about these things? and then the story as you know all of us know would would go a lot of directions from there but in that example that happens frequently and the first three or four things that i say are questions that really sometimes head this it heads this off to maybe that's not what i should be doing and and i try to you know it's it's just that I, I try to just tell them the truth, just just it, 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 my story is wh- what it takes to make it in this industry and to survive and thrive. And um, so that's, uh, you know, that's how I go about in that
3: example that you just gave.
1: And Bobby, what did you want to say?
3: Well, I, I just, you know, I just wanted to point out that everybody listening to this right now is an expert storyteller. It's a valid question, where do you start? Because there's so many layers to our stories. But if we weren't all very highly skilled storytellers, we would not have been able to effectively navigate our way through childhood. Now, let's go back a little bit, way back. When you think about what a story is, you know, Michael said it's the oldest art. Well, what conceived that art? What gave birth to it? Stories started, they were rooted, and they became mythology. Now, mythology is nothing more than sacred tales we tell each other to try to explain and more effectively navigate through the human condition that binds everybody across cultures and across time. As a matter of fact, if you take a look at any mythology, there are common reoccurring patterns and themes or archetypes that are symbolic in nature but it transcends any one individual so when you take a look at story it, it, in in its historical sense it has psychological it has sociological implication let me get into that but we're all really good but if you think about how do you identify where do you want to start i I think the reason why a lot of people struggle with storytelling is because we go from being these creative and brilliant storytellers to identifying misconceptions, taking on other people's assumptions and developing neuroses and the desire to look good. And we get in our own way from our natural storytelling ability and sometimes the worst place to look in order to see something is to look directly at the object that you're trying to ascertain. And that sounds so counterintuitive, but sometimes you got to look in other directions and then make comparisons. So maybe the question is not where do I start in front of a room, but take a look at any story that you've been impacted by and model yourself, utilize modeling. Every single person has been moved by a song we've been transformed or moved deeply by watching cinema by watching a play some live performance all of this follows the every single archetype that you see in every single story so if you're going to take star wars for example you know we didn't see luke as a child we didn't see him all through his childhood he wasn't learning how to walk he wasn't drooling all over himself not saying that wasn't relevant to his character but it wasn't relevant to the outcome of the film or the message that George Lucas was trying to convey. So I think Rob's, Robert is spot on in Begin with the End in Mind. So it's not so much where do I want to begin within my story, but why should the people in the seats listen to me? It's a very important question because they're asking in their mind, why should I listen to this person in front of the room? Mm. What is the major definite purpose of them even attending one of your presentations in the first place, and what are the objectives or the measurable problems that you're looking to address and solve for. And a lot of the times that tells you exactly where to start. You might not have to go all the way back to the beginning. Your story might go as far back as last week because something happened in your life that's extremely relevant as a lesson for the people in the room. And storytelling, rather than information, wraps it in delivery style that psychologically makes it memorable and more effective for a lot of reasons. One is emotional. You know, think about, think about everybody's mind inside the, the audience as a castle. And you're this person on a horse and you're this traveler. you get going to dismount from that horse and be very vulnerable. Then you've got to walk across a bridge that's over a moat. With all of their issues, all of their resistance, all of their fears, all of their apprehensions, all of their belief systems that they get a sense of certainty from and therefore safety. And you've got to overcome all that stuff and all that stuff is all those crocodiles. And then when you finally get across the bridge, before you can enter the castle, before they let you into their brain, there's this massive guy, bulging muscles, black hood over his face with a tremendous axe. That's their limbic system. If you don't get through to them emotionally, starting with the why, as Robert so beautifully pointed out, that guy's going to cut your head off and you're not getting anywhere near the ca- castle. But that guy, when he's listening to you and, and you're petitioning as to why they should let you in, pass those doors into their mind, he's asking one question. Is it safe? And anything that's exciting, anything that's advantageous, beneficial, anything that's aligned, gets in. Anything that's threatening, fearful, antagonistic, well, the guy with the axe deals with that quite expeditiously. So stories are, are the emotional gateways to somebody opening up their mind and letting you in. They also, because they work on emotions, they elevate hippocampal function. And you can also remember what it is that you heard. I mean, if you think about your favorite scene from your favorite film, even if you haven't seen that film in 10 years, you could probably recall it in vivid detail. And you probably get a level of enjoyment by recalling your favorite lines verbatim from the film. But you don't know what you had for lunch Tuesday if you didn't eat the same thing every day, every every week. Does that make sense? So, so stories have that power emotionally, but it always begins with, what am I trying to convey? And then when you take a look at how to structure a story, that's been done for us. It's been done for about 7,000 years of all recorded history. So if you take a look at you know, um, Myths to Live By, is a great resource for story, um, as well as Robert McGee. Uh, the title of the book is Story. Um, or even The Hero's Journey um, by Joseph Campbell, it sets up the whole hero's journey. And if you look at any film or any compelling story, whether popular or whether it's your own film that you know, nobody else really knows about, it all begins the same way. If you take a look at the hero, the hero is always initiated by the size of the quest. And they never want to go. See, The, the, the hero's never the person who volunteers for this stuff. They're always reluctant or, or in the vast majority of times they're reluctant. But they start out by, by, by the size of the quest. And if they don't go, there are serious consequences. So the heroes don't volunteer, but they are cult. Well, if you take a look at the body of any story, there's, there's basically a triad. There are three components. So as the hero is going through an encounter and encountering trials, and each trial is getting bigger and bigger until they face the abyss, their major trial. Well, th- there's three elements that the guide takes them through. Well, one is there are certain things that the hero needs to have. These are your tools. So a really simple example of this is if you want to do a TRX class or a kettlebell class and you don't have any kettlebells, well, that's a problem. Hard stop right there. So there's things you need to have that you got to communicate, but there's also things that the hero needs to do. You know, What comes to my mind is, is Frodo and his journey. You know, he needed specific directions, and Golem kept taking him off his path for his own insidious purposes. However, you need to know what path to go down. But then there's other elements, because you have to ask yourself, if you're Frodo, and you have your tools, and you know exactly what to do, does that guarantee success? And if you've ever seen Lord of the Rings, you know the answer is absolutely not. That nowhere near guarantees success. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of people who know exactly what to do and have the right tools, but can't take, get themselves to do it. Because going through any journey, which is what a story is intended to guide you through, is not just a matter of what you need to do, but who you need to be. There is an internal struggle that Frodo needed to overcome and along the journey before the journey was even complete he needed to evolve into the type of person that could fulfill the commission that he was given so you have things that you need to be you have knowing what to do and what you need to have so and bobby
1: sorry go on that, yes
3: that, that structures no and that, and that structures it and at the end of every story The only way the hero is able to go back home is when they're transformed. They have resources, and those resources can be employed not just for their good, but the good of the community that they return to, and it always has some sort of moral recap. So if you you wanted to structure it, beginning, the why, the middle, tools, training, and development. And the end of the story, moral
1: recap, so Bobby, let me ask you something at the very start of that of um, that conversation just then you said that it 's all about tapping into the person 's emotions, but how how can we we rely on getting through those emotions to get to get the end task um, you know delivered like so i 'm up there and i 'm speaking about my story and i 'm wanting to you know inspire others to follow their dreams and that but how often do, are, do we really tap into their emotions that they actually go forward and implement some of the stuff that they 've heard from us? I understand where you 're coming you know with the structure and everything like that, but the, the reality is when you get up in front of a room or you write a story it 's quite difficult. To get people to take on hand what you're saying and to tap into the, their emotions. How do we know if we're getting the, the job done? Because you want people to leave the room inspired by, by your story so that they can walk out of there and say, hell yeah, I can do this too. And you know, but how do we make that happen? Because sometimes I look across the room and I, when other speakers are speaking, and I often wonder, are these people really listening to what's going on? Are they understanding the message that's here? I mean, how do we know that we're getting it across? Well,
3: a couple of things. One, you're not going to get your message across to absolutely every single person in the room. And even if you emotionally affect them and give them takeaways that are executable, most of the people in that room, and this is the reality, are not going to go out and do anything different. And that's the same situation every single speaker in the world finds himself in. So if that's your objective, health is for people who want it, not necessarily for people who need it. But the second thing is with stories and vulnerability, you're much more likely to affect people in a way where they will use what it is that you give them. And I think one of the keys is taking yourself off the stage. Think about, again, from another story. Going back to the modern adaptation of Romeo and Juliet, which would be West Side Story, there's a beautiful scene in West Side Story. And you all have, has everybody on this call? Forget it, because I can't talk to everybody listening to this. Have you seen West Side Story? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. Yes, I have. Oh, so you, you well well, hang on, Mel, because you might want to watch it. It's beautiful. And there's this one scene where the worst possible thing that could ever happen in a closed space happens. They take these two warring gangs, the Sharks and the Jets, and they stick them in a gymnasium at a school dance. Now, they're in a confined, relatively small space, given the number of people. And these two gangs could not have had more differences, and they couldn't have hated each other any more than they did. And they were likely all armed. So the situation's pretty precarious, because at any moment, singing, snapping, and dancing could kick off. But anyway, so... Everyone's on high alert. They're all watching one another. But there are two people in the gymnasium that not only are they not on high alert, they become completely oblivious to everyone and everything in their surroundings. And these two people obviously are Tony and Maria, our our protagonists in the story. And their eyes lock across a crowded gymnasium. And then the symbolism, like we talked about symbolism not signs. So these are things that not really exist in the real world, but are symbolic of it. You hear the music start to fade and then the lights start to darken. And then there's a spotlight on Tony and a spotlight on Maria. And as Tony and Maria start to move towards each other, the spotlight converges into one symbolizing that they are totally and completely infatuated with one another. Now, if, you are watching this and you asked yourself, what is Tony thinking about? The answer would be nothing. He is in what Mahalaj Seth Mahalaj would call a flow state. And he is absolutely immersed in the being and in the moment of Maria. He has very little self-awareness. He doesn't know how he's standing, what he's doing. And I think storytelling, the key to it, is the ability and the willingness to just abandon how am I doing and get into that moment, filling that space between you and that audience. You can have all your structure. You can have all your major points. And don't get me wrong, technique, tactics are critical. But on that stage, intention far supersedes technique.
1: Okay, I've, I've got a question for Michael and it was something that Bobby said earlier on in that conversation. So why do people come and listen, Michael, if they're not going to act? Uh,
0: okay, well, Bobby uh, <laughs> said quite a lot. Let me bring it back down to uh, uh, some, some practicality here. Um, first of all, all of us, tell ourselves stories we go to a convention because we think it's going to help us in some way some go to conventions because we tell ourselves a story we should go but it's always in some way we go because we think it's going to be a value to us and the stories of how you define that are broad Um, so your question mel is um, if you, just say that question again because I want to set it up right my right. question again okay is,
1: my question is I was saying to Bobby you know how people come in yeah. um, and, we, uh-huh. and we aren't able to tap into them so why do they come and listen to us if they're not going to act on what we're saying
0: Because they have many reasons for sitting in that audience uh, one one difficulty might be they can't allow you Mel to be the one who's going to teach them anything they won't allow Robert who does he think he is or Michael or or Bobby who do they think they are there's people listening right now right now and they're saying this is a bunch of bull this is nonsense they these guys don't know what they're talking about so number one you asked a very important question before and that is how do we connect with people when we look out in that audience and we know They're turned off. I think that uh, tactic, technique, the ability to read someone in that audience and connect with that person at a deep level. I'll say soul, but I'm not talking about religion here. But to make eye contact, we've all had that experience of standing in front of an audience and, and using a story, making a point, and you realize the person in front of you Ah uh, twenty rows behind is is like looking everywhere else. My goal at that point is to find a way to connect with that person, so oftentimes what I do is I'll walk around or I'll point to that person or I'll say, Can I ask you a specific question here? Something to engage that person The fact that there's so many wonderful hot books out today about. Uh, storytelling and how to engage people in stories Um, every story the structure of every story is similar if it's going to be successful there's an inciting moment there's rising action there's a turning point of climax there's a failing action and then there's a moment when there there is a success a story that people can connect with this is used in marketing all the time I can give you many examples uh, from uh, the Dollar Shave Club to Dropbox. Dropbox, we all know what Dropbox is. Dropbox use, uses this pyramid of the beginning. How do I start? What, what do I say to engage people? So if I tell people, can I tell you how I got into the University of Pennsylvania six months after they closed down acceptances People go like, what? I'm, they're hooked. They're hooked. And so uh, without going through too much of this, I just want to make a couple of other quick points. Um, our job is to help multiply the echo effect of our stories in people listening. So when they walk out, they retell our story in their own voice and through their own experience. That's critical. Um There, it's so interesting. The the actual science of this is fascinating. I'll just tell you a quick study. Um, Two psychologists, uh, Uh, um, what are their? I forget their names. Um, Not important, but um, if I could remember them, I would tell you. (laughs) I can't remember. Okay. In any case, oh yeah, uh, Melanie Green and Tim Brock, two psychologists. They say that when you tell a story well. You have radically altered the way information is processed, according to the neuroscience that Bobby talked about. They have found that people who are absorbed in your story, that story changes them. And meaning highly absorbed people detect significantly fewer false notes. Think about this. We're all exposed to fake news every day. If we're absorbed in the story and we tell ourselves, this guy's on my team, this woman's on my team, our cognitive bias, the story we tell ourselves, doesn't allow any ability to see negativity. So I think that storytelling has become an art. It is. Um, I think we use it. Um, I don't think that it replaces skill. Uh, I don't think it replaces competence. I don't think you can BS somebody with a good story necessarily. Um, But the tact is to get to the story that the person is telling herself or himself, get through that um, and be able to have a protagonist, an antagonist, and then this, uh, this Oprah Winfrey aha moment. When everyone sees a surprise at the end and can engage with it.
1: So, Robert. One of the main
0: things I,
3: I heard you say there, Robert, though, if I may, is authenticity.
1: Well, you need to be we authentic to... in everything you do, don't you think, Bobby? I mean, irrespective yes. of whether it's storytelling, I think everything that you do every day, every moment of your life, it needs to be authentic. I mean, why? Mm-hmm. We're yeah, role but the, models. But the question was, yeah.
3: what happens when people shut down? And why mm-hmm. do people shut down? They either don't believe what you're saying or they don't trust your intention or they what don't they understand
1: to? it or they don't understand.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: we have to yeah, look at, no. the, you know, we have to look at the types of people. Let's be realistic. We need to look at the types of people that, that want to go out and tell their story right now. The focus is on the 21 to 36 year old age group. And I know there are people out there that say, Hey, 21 to 25. They don't have stories to tell. Well, yeah, they do. They do. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, this is also the same demographic that shuts down in our workshops, uh, isn't it really? They go off and they, and they do their own thing. So I struggle why they're not taking things on board. And, you know, you guys have come back with some really good answers with that. Um,
3: maybe, but, maybe we're not effectively communicating.
1: Well, I, I do believe that. Maybe, maybe, and I could be totally wrong, maybe we need to bring everything back to more layman's terms because let's look at the other side of it. And we're drifting away a little bit from what we were supposed to be discussing. And Michael will probably agree with this. The reason we need to bring things back to layman's terms so that they understand is because when they're going off and being educated in these six to eight week courses, they aren't getting educated enough to understand what we're delivering. Does that make sense?
0: I think it I think it makes sense, Mel, in a many ways. I think it goes much more beyond that. The skill of a wonderful presenter is not resting on her or his laurels, but rather Being able to emotionally connect. In other words, does a presenter who's talking to that young age group, uh, does does she or he know how to talk with that group? Does he know how to or she know how to overcome the objections without even having that group talk about them? Does he start with, you know, guys, I bet a lot of you folks are thinking, what am I going to learn here? How am I going to use this? This is not really going to help me. Come on. How many, put your hands up. How many of you feel that way right now? And you, someone just laughed. I don't know who it was, Bobby or or, or Robert. Because the group will, because the group will react. They'll raise their hands. And we talk, tell me something. What are you here for? If you're thinking, I don't know if I'm going to learn anything. And suddenly, three to five minutes of the introduction of that presentation, I've got them. And they are now putty in my hands. And I'm not saying that because I think I'm a great presenter, but but as a tactic, I've gotten Mm -hmm. through the resistance. If you don't get through that and you think you're going to get through it just by great PowerPoints and a wonderful story and big words, it's not going to happen. You'll push them away further. Ask them to talk to you about their resistance. It makes a lot of sense. It works. I just gave a talk at at a big pharma group. Uh, You were joking around with me on, on Facebook the other day. Um, and I walked and I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, these people and I are on two different planets. And I said, how many of you are thinking, what are you, what is, how am I going to learn from this character up here? And they all chuckled. And I said, and I'm thinking to myself, and how am I going to talk to you? You're in big <laughs> pharma. Like, I hate what you do. <laughs> and everyone got a chuckle and everyone laughed. But we got through it. It was great. Got invited back. But it was being (laughs) honest up front. Exactly. I like that. And I think that's part of the story. It it was
2: more than honesty,
3: though. Like, when I'm listening to that, yes, that's honesty. That's candor. But what I really like about the example you gave, Michael, is that's empathy. What are these people going through? What are they afraid Mm -hmm. of? What are they resistant to? You know, when they walk out of here, what are the challenges that they're facing if I address that, it's just like a member who walks into the gym and sits down right. for, an or- for an orientation, and they don't, they don't like exercise, mind you. They don't want to be there, but the very first word out of their mouth two minutes into the orientation is, I, I thought we were going to go work out. How come we're not working out? And every minute you don't go and work out they get more and more apprehensive. But why does someone who doesn't even like exercise, why are they so keen? Because their biggest fear is this whole place looks like nothing but a bunch of furniture with weight stacks attached to it. I will never understand how to use this. And if I don't know how to use it, I'm going to fail. So they're operating off of this expectation. And the further you get from the expectation, the more apprehensive they get. If you rock up in front of the room and you're anticipating what is their single biggest barrier to learning and what are their biggest problems in the real world when they leave here? And you address those up front. Yeah, that's honest. Yeah, that's authentic. But it's empathetic as well.
0: Robert? Yeah. The, key, the key is to be willing to ask that que- those kinds of questions. <laughs> Robert, you're a brilliant presenter. Yeah. How, do you, how do you start with an audience? Oh, Michael, it's just, it's
2: it's just, you know, sometimes I'm walking down the hall to go into the room and I don't know yet.
0: Until I (laughs) get into the room
2: room and I walk down the aisles and I introduce myself to every person and try Mm -hmm. to shake every person's hand or acknowledge them. Then I start to get a feel for the room. This probably isn't the way it should be done, but sometimes I don't always know the answer to the question as to what, exactly how I'm going to start. And it depends on the audience. And I get I sort of get a just an instinctive feeling about who's there to be critical and who's there to learn, because there are those that attend that right. are there to see what you do know or what you don't know or what they know more of than you do. So all those things and others come into play, and it's on their list there of, I knew I knew he, he didn't know any more than I did or that type of thing. Um, and then, you know, it's uh, I, I want to say something here that really brings us back down uh, to mail your, your example real quick. And then uh, I apologize if it's off your track, but about when you sent in this information about yourself, the story about yourself, and then you got declined well whether you whether you you were successful or not it, you gave it a good attempt you you did hopefully your best and sometimes like all the other people that you and I and Bobby and Michael deal with they're not always going to win every time in fact that's a fairy tale we're not going to win every time. You being rejected is, may have nothing to do with you. It could be so many other circumstances. And I wouldn't give it another moment's thought. So enough on that part. The other thing I'm going to tell you about storytelling is I, what I like to do most. There's two things that I like to do most. And that, that's build a team of people that can accomplish wonderful things as a team. Really, I mean, arms-locked team. There's none of the office politics and all that going around. And I, every day I go to every office, I speak to every person face-to-face. And Michael's, I've told Michael this before, and, and they're part of this whole thing about who comes on our team. And When I get to the interview of somebody, I'm the last ever interview a person. I don't even look at their resume. I don't give a shit what is on their resume. I don't care where they went to school. I'll I'll turn the resume over. They've talked to seven or eight of my people. I've gotten their input. And I say, tell me about yourself. And being in a people business, if they can't do that, Without, and I know they're going to be nervous, so it's not like I'm mean being critical. Just tell me about It's okay. Just tell me about yourself and why you feel like this fits you. And and that we will be a good, you will fit this team and the team will, will fit you. And to, all right, that's storytelling, though. A lot of people discount that that's not, that's, that's not an interview. That's them telling me a story. And that works just as well as me telling the story. So, and I, I, apologize, I hope I'm not on the wrong track here. And and the key things, you know, on me is um, that that um, I I just uh, the if I have a problem situation, there's always a story involved about. Maybe that happened to me when I was thirty-five. You know, I've made the same mistakes and you start talking to them. Things resonate. They think, okay, he's not here to chew my ass out and fire me. He's here to talk to me about this. And I get them to loosen up and talk to him about how, what we're going to do about it. Cause I wouldn't have hired you if you weren't a good person to start with. So can we work through this? And so I, I use. to, stories for maybe different things than you guys think of stories.
1: I'm a little Even bit like you, Robert. I, I do the same thing. No, I'm like you, Robert. I do exactly well, the same well, thing. Well,
2: I, I, I try to execute it in what I do for a living. Now, my second best thing I like to do is I have four club owners, potential club owners right now that I mentor free every single week. And I go through everything with them. I have a complete outline of how this works. It's an eight-week period, eight-week process. And I ramp these people up about the business, demographics, building, finish out, uh, how much HVAC they're going to use per square, per cubic foot in in their facility, depending on the climate where they live. I cover every damn thing they could have. And when they go in to, to pursue their business model, They know the right questions to ask. How to negotiate with the realtor about getting finish out. About all those things that they never would know until you've done it. You guys have done it. And how many years of warranty do I give? This is all I love. And I do that with people by telling them stories about what's happened. How I learned that. And it, it, it works. So from my perspective of storytelling, um, obviously I'm not going to be as good at this as like, and I mean this as Bobby and Michael and probably yourself, but I use it in a, maybe a different method to try to work with people and be more empathetic. And then if something's not going to work, then I address that too. So, Yeah, it's 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 a bonding time. It's a it it, it's creating what you said and Michael said while I go. Bobby is is empathy and uh, it's making that connection about us being human. Mm. And you know what you 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 failed. So what? You didn't fail. You didn't fail until you Mm. quit. You know, and so maybe I use it in a different way, and maybe the listeners you. Use it in different ways or potentially use it in different ways. So anyway, Mm. that's
3: well, you you know, what's really interesting uh, about that, Robert. I think you're a very good storyteller. The reason for that is the voice from which you tell the story. I mean, if if you take a look at good storytelling versus bad storytelling, someone who gets on stage and they get through, they connect with the story. Versus someone who loses the audience, I think, very often, and both has happened to me, <laughs> so I'm speaking <laughs> experience, is yeah, <laughs> great storytellers and great stories are usually told from the perspective of the guide, not the hero. Mm-hmm. When the story is about you and what you've accomplished and what you've done, mm-hmm. you're not speaking to archetypes, you're speaking to your own ego. And archetypes are powerful because they're reoccurring within our lives. Young you know, laid out 12 archetypes, and every single one of us fall into one of those 12 as a dominant. We have a couple of others at different points in our lives that are strong, but all 12 are in us. And when you speak from the perspective of the guide, you allow the people in the seats so or the person across the desk from you to step into the role of the hero. And if you understand, again, what that person is going through, it's like a roadmap, isn't it, a story? You need Uh, to know where that person's starting from. Where where do you want them to go, or probably even more powerful, where do they themselves most want to go? And how are you going to navigate through sometimes an unpredictable terrain to get them there? And that journey between those two points is the story, and when told from the perspective of the guide... It includes the archetype because it cannot, and the person can then project themselves into your story as the protagonist, and that's personal, and because it's personal, it's pervasive.
0: I was just thinking, based on what you were saying, saying, Bobby, uh, 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 Bobby, I was thinking about myself in in relation to what you were saying, and I think having spent 40-some-odd years as a uh, psychologist doing psychotherapy and Coaching and so forth and so on, <clears throat> uh, where my job was not to be the expert, but my job was to be the curator to help mm-hmm. the person in front of me or the couple in front of me or whoever it was uh, to help them find their way, not for them to find my way. I realized that what, that's exactly what I do when I'm in front of an audience to tell a story in a relatable way. Uh, But ultimately, to be a curator, not the expert. Uh, Lots of people who get up in front of audiences want to be the expert. But I think that ultimately, Mel, those people who turn away, who start to turn off, they don't turn away when you have connected, helping them feel like they're the expert. It's not (laughs) uncommon for me to say to an audience, look, you guys know a lot more about this than I do. Uh, uh, Let's learn a little bit about this together here or something like that. I'm not necessarily those words, but uh, yeah, I think that that's the difference being a curator or being the expert.
1: So Michael, sorry, I was just writing um, down some notes about what we've been discussing. And so just based on what you just said, Ben, I've sort of worked out our start, our middle, and our end. So using what Robert said to ask a question at the start of, you know, of your storytelling, then perhaps to connect, let them know what your intention is, and then also the resistance, which you spoke about, um, Michael, you know, I don't want to be here. I don't know nothing about your business. Are they some of the points that you would um, recommend to those that want to start to tell a story? That I know that you've spoken about your stories uh, like Robert did, you know, when you're interviewing people and in other instances, but for those that want to get up and tell it to a large group or for those that want to write, you know, their autobiography, are they some of the, the points that you would write down and you would definitely use to navigate your way through it, you know, the, the ask the question, they connect the intention um, and, and the resistance? Is that going to get me from the start to the middle? And, and what is the end of a story? And my other question is, do you really think that you can fail at storytelling if your story is real?
0: It depends on what your goal is. I think that if someone wants to get up and talk about him or herself, you cannot fail. But if your goal is to use some experience you've had as a way of hooking into other people to help them motivate themselves, whether it's to uh, exercise or diet or buy a product or to open the gym or whatever it might be, then I think you can fail. I think you can. Let me say it very simply again. If, it's, if you want to get up and talk about yourself, you can't fail. But if you're getting up to talk about yourself as a way to help people find something in what you just said that they find motivating in themselves, I think, yes, you can fail.
1: Robert? <clears throat> Robert, did you have any thoughts on that? Were...
2: Uh, no i i really not not nothing more than what 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 i've what i've said on, on that the the end to me uh and that's what you're referring to right mel the end
1: yeah
2: basically or the fa- or the failure part or you know i'm i kind of got lost in the question um so can you fail Yes, you can fail, but I don't. You know, I I I, I must be weird. I, I don't take that as that I failed. I, I really don't. I'm not just saying that. I don't take it as I failed. I may not be happy with myself. I might kick myself in the ass and say I could have done better, but it's not a total failure because I did connect with some. And you determine ter- you that into speaking situation by how many people sometimes reach out to you or even stop you to where you can't even get to your next presentation because they want to talk about it you know you're resonating with them so it's not as bad as the picture I feel like you're painting on the failure thing Uh, are you and Bobby said it and Michael said it you're not always going to come across and be spectacular to everybody I'm paraphrasing to everybody. There's going to be those others that you're never ever going to please or satisfy, or they're never going to believe you. Um, and so, I, you know, I'm like the old duck that the water runs off their bat. I try not to let it, mm-hmm. let it stay on me too long. i let it, i let it run off and keep on to the next thing. That's more important than me, not, resonating with that person I've also had a mail later on come back to me maybe a week two weeks or whatever later and said I was at your deal and uh, you're speaking you're you're on your topic of this and uh, I was in there with a bad attitude I mean I've had them come and sort of like confession and tell me (laughs) that you know can we talk about about this again, you know? Do you have a few minutes? And I said, always. Um, of course I do. So it, when you sometimes when you think you're failing, you may not be failing, Mel. Um, and Guy, when you're talking about this, it makes you feel like you're talk, talking in circles. <laughs> <laughs> you, say, no. you, say, you say you failed, and I'm saying, no, you really didn't but you might have failed with some, but maybe not, you know, I think you get what I think, I think you three get what I'm saying. The rest, the rest of you in the audience, hell,
0: I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We're connecting with some, we're not connecting at all.
1: I think that, I I think that the most important message is that um, it's okay to want to tell your story and to take some points from today's conversation, which I said just before, you know, a great starting point for somebody that wants to do this is to get up and ask a question, you know, and the the middle of the conversation, you know, you need to connect, you need to have some type of intent with your audience and perhaps to have a little bit of humour about any resistance that could be in the audience. Uh, I'd like to ask each of you the same question. To those that are listening now that have considered going out to tell their own story, whether it be in front of a large group or to put pen to paper, a really great tip that you could give them and something that they should avoid doing that you've done yourself that was a mistake. So who would like to go first? Michael?
0: Oh boy. <laughs> That's a very complicated question. Yeah. Please uh, don't make
1: it complicated.
0: No, no, I'm going I'm I'm to sure. make it very practical. Down to earth. Number one, the tip. Uh, the tip is know why you want to get up and tell your story. Uh, if you just want to get up and talk about yourself, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know that many people are necessarily going to be interested. And as Robert has said more than once tonight, who cares? And if you don't care, then you're free to tell your story and you're happy that you told your story. But at most of these professional presentations, um, these people who are coming want something more than just to listen to who you are. They want to learn something. So what I say is make sure that the information, the story you're going to be imparting, while it may be about your own experience, has a way of connecting to other people. The mistake that I've made is probably ignoring the audience and being so involved in my information that I forget that there's other human beings, 100, 200 people in the audience who are listening. So um, I don't make it about me anymore. It's never about me. It's about what they've come to learn, uh, what I imagine some of their uh, blocks are that they've been telling themselves and how I'm going to get through that. How, how am I going to make this a relatable experience as human, a connection as possible?
1: Thank you, Michael. Robert.
2: I would say that my tip is that don't write your story worried about it. It's going to be successful or a failure. Mm-hmm. Write it the best that you can. And with the, Making sure that you're carefully making your point um, and um, don't overthink it. Don't go back and over edit. So I know you got to edit, but you can't, you don't need to go back and over edit to take away the meaning. That's a long tip, Mel. Okay. The, the, uh, what, what I wouldn't do, uh, and I'm going to say this on uh, uh, what, what I wouldn't, uh, uh, some advice as to what I've done that I wouldn't do is write something when I'm angry. I wouldn't do that. I, 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 I might write it, and there's probably some psychological thing here Mike could help, Mike could help me with. But I, I might write it and then just sleep on it and and not send it, but I feel better that I wrote it. That may sound a very elementary, but I think sometimes you've got to get your thoughts out to get your thoughts out.
3: Um, yep.
1: And Bobby? I so, uh, I think. Well, sorry, Robert, I didn't realize you hadn't finished.
3: No, no. No, I'm, I'm finished. Thank you. Well, there's a few things. First of all, if you want to be a speaker, don't do it. Uh, Charles Bukowski wrote a brilliant essay titled, So You Want to Be a Writer? And basically it goes on and on about all the reasons you should ask yourself why you should not do it. And it goes through a myriad of reasons why writing is the last thing you should ever consider doing if you want to do it. And the only way that you should ever be a speaker is if it's so much a part of you that you cannot do anything else, you just can't. Because as Michael said earlier, part of being a speaker is this constant reinvention and self-renewal and rigor And if you're not prepared to literally break yourself down, destroy yourself and reinvent yourself over and over and deal with the pain and the criticism, not just criticism from your audience and your industry, but the self-criticism that goes along with refining your skills over a lifetime, it's going to be painful. If you love it so much, you don't know where your choice of occupation ends and where you begin, then by all means, be a speaker because you probably have something to say that's significant enough where you have a moral obligation, not just the preference, to share that with as many people as possible. Second thing, whatever you resist will persist. If you're thinking about the difference between success and failure, you're indexing on the side of failure. If you're thinking about your information, as, as as Robert said. If you're thinking about, is the audience liking me? Is everyone mm-hmm. connected? Has anyone right. checked out? Guess what? They're checking out, because you're in your head. You're not with them. That's like being on a date and thinking, okay, wow, is this person going to go home with me? Wow, what's the sex going to be like? Yes, yeah, someone's having a conversation with you, joined dinner. I can tell you what the sex is going to be like. It's going to be alone in your room, followed by a pint of Haagen-Dazs. Congratulations, mate. <laughs> so, don't do <laughs> <you>. that. <laughs>
0: Right. Well said. Whatever
3: gets resisted get, gets persisted. So think, think about that as well. And you got to find your style, your tilt. Everybody has a tilt. If you want to be a public speaker, one, one thing you should do to get a real example of what it's like is step on stage, open mic night, do comedy. Get up there, and even if you you go blank in the bright lights, and there's no shame in that, it'll give you an idea of what your first presentation is going to be like. And if you walk off that stage and you want to throw up and you're like, I'll never do that again, guess what? That's exactly what your first time is going to feel like when you get up on stage. But if you keep doing it over and over, and you can go through that pain, and it is painful. I was a speaker for 20 years with a fair bit of success. Fair Mm. bit of failure, but a fair bit of success. And I decided, you know what, I'm gonna start doing comedy. Hold on, you're starting from zero. Nothing's mm. prepared you for this. And and but the lesson is you keep doing it, you start to get a rhythm, you get a tilt. It is it is what it's called, as my friend John would say. And everything you've believed, experienced, your own innate personality traits, your emotions, perspectives, gives you a certain style. You know what authenticity is? It's not about being who you are because who you are is a construct. Totally different podcast. However, it's having no differentiation between how you live your life and how you present yourself. And you're unique. And let that uniqueness loose. There's, there, you know, somebody uh, once told me, you want to write drunk, edit sober. I wish I knew that they were speaking metaphorically. I don't remember much of what happened that year. Same thing when you're speaking. you want You want to prepare. You want to know your information cold. You want to go over your strategies and techniques. And then when you get on stage, kind of like Robert, walking down the hall, forget everything. Where you don't know the first thing that's going to come out of your mouth. You know why? Because you haven't gotten there yet it's like when you go on a date again, that example, you rock up on a date, you have every line prepared, it's going to be contrived. That's not true mm-hmm. connection.
0: Right. So
3: you want to you over-prepare and then forget absolutely everything. Speak drunk, revise sober. I don't mean that literally, <laughs> by the way, just just right. that up. <laughs> That's great. And then the, the, one of my mentors told me a last piece of advice that um, there, there's two types of speakers in the world. Type of speaker gets on stage and says, Here I am with incredible enthusiasm. Second type of speaker gets on stage, looks out and says, Wow, there you are. Don't right. be that first person. Right. That first person will not affect, be as effective and they will suffer a lot of pain and agony. Don't be that first person. Never adapt your natural style to get anybody else's approval. If, if, mm-hmm. if there's one massive mistake I have made in my career, it, and I'm ashamed that I made it because it, go, it goes against every rebellious inclination I have, we had somebody on our team who left our team. And I felt there was a gaping hole. And I thought that what my team expected was I would encompass his information, his speaking style into mine so that so the team would be complete. And if I did that, I would earn the right to be loved by my team and be accepted. I started to look at my team mm. like my family. And I thought, okay, my, my growing up, there was no such thing as unconditional love. As a matter of fact, there was no such thing as love. There was conditional survival. So mm. I started behaving in that way. And I didn't even realize what was occurring at the time. So I changed my entire style. And when I changed my entire style, I robbed my audience, I robbed my company, and I robbed myself over high performance, over impact, over real meaningful connection and contribution. And just like I believe the only way out of suffering is contribution, I think the fastest way into suffering is to not contribute. And that's exactly what I did. So I'm not saying be who you are, but decide who you want to be and never change that for anybody because it will not work because when you cut it with a knife, it will not bleed. That's all I got to say on that.
1: Thank you very much, Bobby, for that. And I thank uh, Robert, Michael, and Bobby again for today's podcast. I'll just run through some advice that the gentleman gave us at the end uh, Michael said that it's most important for you to know your why when you're telling your story and um, not to ignore your audience. Robert followed up with to write write the best story that you can and not to overthink it. And he also said um, not to write when you're angry. If I can just interject there, one of the things that I used to do quite often was right when I was angry and now what I do is I actually get my phone and I videotape myself with my thoughts and then I re-watch myself and I feel a whole lot better and I move on with the day instead of putting it on the screen on social media or in text format I find that that works really well for me now and Bobby said don't be a speaker and if you do get used to motel rooms and adopt for approval. Never make anything about you. hog
0: off. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I didn't want to add that bit. <laughs> I <Again>, can't. <it's, laughs> look it's been a we've been podcasting for um an hour and five minutes and we said we would do 45 minutes we never ever do 45 minutes we always break the rules i hope that those who are listening today have followed us all the way through to the end and i hope that those listeners do take the first step into public speaking or perhaps applying at conventions to get up and tell the story for me every every story is worth telling and um, I think that, you know, it's the most important aspect of the, the fitness business industry. It's storytelling. It's what we're about. It's what we do. And that's how we improve lives every day. Thank you, Robert, Michael and Bobby for your time today. I will drop the Thanks, gentleman's details. Thank you. I will drop thank the. you so much. You're welcome. I will drop the gentleman's details into the end of the podcast. I look forward to speaking to them again very soon. If you've got any topics that you would like uh, this awesome panel to discuss, please do let me know. We're always looking for something new to chat about on the Gym Owners Business Podcast. Thank you very much.